Hello, and welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated, and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can also subscribe on Podbean, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email him at eric.anderson, that's E-R-I-K dot A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N at nllutheran.com. Let's get growing. Well, I'm Pastor Ben. I'm so excited that you're joining us for our Easter worship experience here, and I'm so excited to bring to you God's Word, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey. If you've been a lifelong Christian or if you've been a lifelong skeptic, if right now you're just a curious person joining us from the comfort of your couch in your pajamas, or if you're an angry husband whose wife made him dress up and you have literally nowhere to go, I welcome you to the conversation because that's what Christ would do. That's what Christ did. He welcomed everyone to the conversation. And today, I have a very special conversation for you, a conversation about hope. But before we can feel hope, we have to feel hopelessness. Before the sun rises, the sun must set. And before we experience success in our lives, we must experience failure. And so as we close out our sermon series, The Greatest Stories Ever Told, today I invite you into a room, a room filled with hopelessness. And in that room, you're going to find all sorts of emotions and all sorts of results of that emotions. You're going to see anger and sadness, and you're going to feel sorrow and regret and disappointment. And from those emotions, you're going to see screaming and yelling and sarcasm. You see, these are the results of following a rabbi only to find out later on that all along he was just a fraud. So I invite you into the story of the disciples, even though at this point in time, they would not have used that word anymore. And I want to give you a front row seat into all the emotions that they were feeling in this moment. As we make our way into the room, we see 11 men, completely silent, at least for a moment, because Thomas, one of Christ's very own disciples, would break that silence with a mixture of anger and disappointment when he said, Jesus, what a fraud that guy turned out to be. Remember the Passover meal that we had together just a moment ago? He said, this is my body and this is my blood. He was so arrogant. He made the greatest Jewish festival about himself. And you want to know the worst part about this? We believed him. I believed him. I thought by, for some reason, that taking a part of that meal together would draw me closer to God. I I thought he was God. I was so naive. We were so naive. But I guess he got one thing right. He was butchered just like the Passover lamb. He was whipped and beaten and put on a cross and he died. He died. He died. 
But God, God doesn't die. In the midst of these conversations, John begins to speak up. Do you remember his stories? Do you remember the one about never giving up hope? I remember it like he just told it to us yesterday. I remember every single word. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. It was like he was talking about Pilate or Herod. These types of leaders who, they don't care about God and they don't care about us. They just do whatever works politically for them. And the next part, do you remember the next part? It was like he was talking about Mary, his own mother, when he said, in that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. Mary. Oh, Mary. The widow of Joseph, the mother of Jesus. Remember when she came to us with her other sons and she said, my son is out of my mind. I need to take him home. She knew something that we didn't know. But yet at the crucifixion, at his death, you could hear her crying above the entire crowd. Mary. Who's going to take care of Mary? It's not going to be me. It's not going to be us because we're not going to live long enough to watch over her. And do you remember the next part of the story? The judge's words? He said, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear out by continually coming. Remember, we used to think Jesus was so wise. We used to think he was so smart. We used to think that he was the greatest storyteller of all time. But there was no justice for Mary. She begged and pleaded. And what did she get for her efforts? A front row seat to her own son's death, as if begging and and pleading and praying does anything. But Jesus continued to teach, and I remember these words. Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cried to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. Jesus would always tell these stories as if if he had some sort of special insight, as if all of them encapsulated spiritual truth. But remember that night in the garden? Jesus prayed. He prayed to the point that he he was bleeding out of his pores. He was sweating blood. And what did he get for his efforts? Nothing. As if God would care about him. As if God would care about us, tiny ants, in the world, as if, if, as if God is like our leaders, like Pilate or Herod, like we can pay them off and sway them to do what we want them to do. And remember his last words in this story? He said, and yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? We used to think he was talking about himself. We thought the Son of Man was the Son of God. We thought the Son of God was Jesus. We thought Jesus was God but he's dead. And you can't kill God, which means no one believes him anymore. Have faith. Keep our faith. 
Are you kidding me? Peter, who is crying in the corner, composed himself enough to stand up and wipe away his tears and, and, and share his thoughts. He didn't even let us fight. We were all ready to fight for our king, but he didn't even let us. When the soldiers came, we all drew our swords. I swung my sword. I drew first blood. But then he said, those who live by the sword, tie by the sword. And he made us put our swords away. The same person who said, never give up hope. He gave up hope. And he went away. Just about that time, James's anger would flare. Peter, don't act like such a hero. Yeah, you took out your sword, and yes, you took a swing, but you didn't even make contact. By the time I looked at the servant's ear and Jesus was over there, it looked just fine to me. Not a speck of blood. And don't act like you didn't run away like the rest of us. So Peter responded this time with a much more humble demeanor. He said, it's true. I ran away like everyone else, but at least I did follow. I got close enough to Jesus to hear him say that he was going to come like a judge. And so I had this spark of hope that built up inside of me, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited. But nothing happened. So why could you blame me when that little girl came up to me and said, are you a follower of Christ? And I said, no. There was no reason to believe anymore. There was nothing to fight for anymore. Jesus, he, he was all talk. There was no judgment. There was no action. It was just like a sheep being led to the slaughter. John once again joined the conversation. What Peter is saying is true. I was there. I was close enough to hear all these things and exactly how Peter described it. Jesus talked about judgment, but he didn't do anything. In fact, he had the opportunity to turn the crowd in his favor one last time. He was always so popular with the crowds, and they had his life in the palm of their hands. All they had to do was choose Jesus over Barabbas. They were ready and willing and able to free him, but he didn't even utter one word. All he had to do was win them over one last time. Now, at this time, Andrew finally chimes in. He says, and I heard that Pilate asked him if he was a king. He said, yes. But kings, they live in palaces, and, and kings, they sit on thrones, and kings, they wear crowns. But Jesus, he's dead. He's dead. They pinned him to a cross, and he's dead. And never once in his life did he live in a palace or sit on a throne or wear a crown on his head. Unless you want to count that, that crown of thorns that they shoved on his head. We thought he was a king. He was great at telling stories, but the greatest story that he ever told was that he was a king. And we believed him. What idiots we are. What do we get for it, right? We gave up everything for Jesus, and what do we have? This opportunity to hide for the rest of our lives so we don't die. He was nothing but a liar. After all these harsh words were spoken, 
The disciples just sat there in silence, waiting. For what? I don't know. For the soldiers to come and take them away to their death? For their last flicker of hope to finally go away? But as their emotions subsided, they began to slowly drift off to sleep. And it was in that moment that there would be a pounding on the door and they drew their swords ready for the fight of their life. But instead of Roman soldiers, these women came in. Hysterical followers of Christ with an amazingly fantastic story that they went to the tomb and the stone was rolled away and Jesus was back and an angel told them this truth. Clearly, these women were overcome with emotion. Clearly, these women had too much wine to drink. Well, Philip, the most polite of the disciples, said when these ladies came in, they were drawing so much attention that I, I had to ask them to leave nicely. But they wouldn't leave. And so we had to shove them out and we tried to shut and lock the door behind them. But before we had a chance, these two men barged their way in other followers of Christ, telling us this fantastic story about Jesus walking with them on their way home, eating bread with them and dining with them and showing them that he truly was back. It's amazing what grief can do because that's what this has to be, right? Because that's how this story has to end. That's how everyone's story ends but you're not going to believe the ending to this one. And you might not believe me, but you might believe Luke. Luke was a doctor, a natural skeptic, who probably spent his, his whole life savings researching and writing the story of Christ so you could have hope back in your life. And this is what Luke wrote. So as we read this, historical account written by Luke, we see the moment when hope was restored. And this is what we read. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. Christ's stories and his story should have ended on a Roman cross. An enemy of the state, long forgotten because of the majesty of Rome. But it was this false king who would become the greatest story ever told. And this resurrected king allowed Rome to be a footnote in his story.
And it's this king who has a message of hope for you this morning. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and to not lose heart. You see, this resurrected king, he brings a message of hope for you this morning. Because this resurrected king, he has the power over death. He has the power over sickness. He has the power over the economy. But our hope is not just that we, we feel better or we stay healthy. Our hope is not just that we have a full bank account or that we have a job. Our hope is that this resurrected king does exactly what he promises, that he's going to resurrect all things, that he's going to restore all things. And through that resurrection power, bring us into an eternal relationship with him in a place that can only be described as heaven. So on this Easter Sunday, I offer you the same invitation that Christ offered to his disciples when he sat down with them, when he ate with them, and when they touched him. I offer you an invitation to believe again, to have hope again. And it's through this faith in Christ that we can make our way through the dark times in life to get ourselves to a place where darkness is no more. Amen. Heavy, the silence, the silent days, stay.